Colonial virus is why I can't live. Colonial virus is why I can't breathe. Colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go. We don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more. Down with the colonial virus. 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 The colonial virus is why I'm poor. The colonial virus keeps me at war. The colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go. We don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more. So we say, down with the colonial virus. Down with the colonial virus. Uhuru, welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matamela Odom. And I'm Awambi Tangu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. In today's show, we're going to discuss the state of the coronavirus pandemic and its impact on the African community, along with the state of health and healthcare in general for African people in the U.S. and around the world. We'll talk to two Black professionals about what African people can do to guard against the infection by the virus and what we can do if we become infected. We'll also discuss strategies for African communities to take charge of our own overall health and well-being. Dr. Aisha Fields is a physicist who became the International Director of the All African People Development and Empowerment Project, a nonprofit organization founded in 2007. As a group's director, Dr. Aisha is responsible for coordinating African community-led healthcare, agricultural, and educational programs throughout the U.S. on the continent of Africa and in African communities worldwide. They built clean water systems, vocational and nursery schools, community farms, maternity centers, and a variety of youth and adult education programs. They also established the project Black Ankh to provide African community-based disaster relief, responding to hurricanes in Texas, Ebola in Sierra Leone, and now COVID-19 worldwide. Dr. Loretta King is a family nurse practitioner with a Doctor of Nursing Practice degree from Chatham University. With more than 30 years of nursing experience, Dr. King has worked in emergency care, ICU, dialysis, women's health, and primary care. She's a recipient of the 2005 Houston Salute to Nurses Award. Today, Dr. King is a member of the Project Black Ankh Medical Advisory Team and serves as the project's lead medical provider. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having us. Welcome, welcome. It's great to have you here. Dr. King. Thank you. Glad to be here. Dr. King, you deal with COVID patients in your clinical work. We've heard the horror stories of suffocation and sudden death. What have you been seeing? And does there seem to be any progress in what we know about how to prevent and treat the disease? Well, yeah, I do see a lot of COVID-19 patients in my daily work and progress, I would say somewhat, but not in all communities, because I think a lot of patients are still rather confused or um, just lack the resources of where to go or where to seek help. 
So therefore, they will still come to the clinic, even if they have a fever or cough or even chest pain or any symptoms related to COVID. And then, you know, we tell them if you have any of these symptoms, you need to either call first so we can give you instructions of where you need to go from there. But instead, they would rather come to the clinic and want to be seen. So we still have a lot of problems with patients and resources and what to do and and when to do it. We continue to read about the disproportionate impact of the coronavirus pandemic on the African community here in the U.S. In some areas, Black people are dying from the virus at four to five times the rate of white people. You both live in areas that are experiencing outbreaks in schools and high cases in death rates. Do you want to say anything about what's going on in your area? Sure, I'll go first. Well, as we all know that uh, discrimination does exist and it exists in certain systems that we have in place. And those symptoms mostly being healthcare, it can be housing, education, the criminal justice system, and just the lack of resources altogether for African people. So yeah, we do see that the um, the rate of COVID-19 is just soaring among the, the Black community. So, and it's mainly due to what, you know, the injustice in our systems at this point. Yeah, I think uh, for sure, uh, where I live in Huntsville, it's it's the same. I think, um, you know, Alabama has been uh, a place where uh, in the last several months, the rate of COVID infection has increased to the point where uh, the state appears on several different, almost like uh, lists that other states who have a better grip on COVID um, you know, indicating that either people have to come in uh, quarantine if they're coming into their states from Alabama uh, or, um, you know, or are earlier on were asked really not to come into the state. So uh, Huntsville in particular is in North Alabama. It's uh, in many ways, I think, a place that uh, in terms of the the rate at which the African community is dealing with COVID. I don't have hard numbers in terms of African people, but I can say early on when there were very few cases, all the cases that I really kind of saw were from African people. And I know quite a few uh, Africans here who have uh, contracted uh, COVID. And this is a fairly, you know, small community. So African people are really being hit hard overall. And in Huntsville is no different. Dr. Fields, we read the stories about Black people being sent home from hospitals and then dying from COVID at home. We've seen a denial of health care and a shortage of testing in the African community. Why would you say that is and what can we do about that? Well, I think that's uh, something that is connected to the wider issue that African people uh, have been experiencing, and that's prior to COVID. And that is that African people exist as a colonized people on oppressed people who, um, in every, uh, in every, uh, you know, aspect of our lives, um, you know, have, you know, um, we're at, you know, we get the, the, the worst of everything, you know, even prior to COVID, there were lots of studies that came out, uh, showing that, um, in the, in the healthcare system in this country that, um, you know, even, uh, you know, some doctors, 
feel as if African people uh, experience less pain and so are less likely to offer the kinds of uh, treatment or medicines that would help to address some of the issues that we're confronted with. We're not taking that seriously. And I know that was something that was happening, particularly in the earlier months, uh, you know, March and April, when there were lots of stories of Africans going to emergency rooms, being turned away, uh, going home and, and dying or not being able to get testing and not really, you know, sure if they had COVID or not and being at home without any kind of a real medical support and passing away. And the reality is that even, again, prior to COVID, African people were experiencing um, a situation where we didn't have access to good health care, you know, um, in this country. And not only good health care, access to good everything, food, education, you know, many of the things that Dr. King spoke to earlier. So um, uh, we're not confused when we see that African people are also being impacted hardest by COVID because in every in every aspect of our lives, you know, we we are bearing the brunt of of uh, of the oppression that uh, that African people have experienced for the last six hundred years in this country, and that's why um, our movement has you know the Hoor movement has coined the term colonial virus uh, because uh, if you know coronavirus, the COVID nineteen is just another, um, and how it impacts African people is just another reflection of the colonial conditions that African people live in, not only here in the United States, but around the world. Uhuru. So what I hear both of you guys saying is that a lot of the things that are happening to Black people uh, due to this virus is because of the conditions of injustice and colonialism that we already exist in. Yeah, I, I find that to be very true. You're absolutely right with that statement. We've just been harder hit and I always think about the, um, I can't remember who kind of coined this, but they say when America gets a cough, African-Americans get pneumonia. And that's so true. And then we're the last to be treated for that. Uh, Uhuru, Dr. Fields, can you expand on the idea that doctors think Black people experience less pain? That seems very much like what people have called eugenics and other forms of colonial medicine. Well, I think um, I can't reference the exact study, but I know um, that there have been studies done that, you know, show that that in this country, you know, um, African people are less likely to receive the kind of, um, you know, uh, you know, access to treatments when uh, when they indicate that they're experiencing certain kinds of symptoms or pain. And I think this was something even that we've discussed in one of our medical advisory team meetings, um, Dr. King, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, overall, I think part of what we are, have come to understand is that, uh, you know, African people, again, um, you know, are not receiving uh, uh, adequate, you know, treatment in this colonial system, the, the colonial healthcare system. And I know that there was a study even uh, not too long ago that came out uh, that even highlighted the fact that African children do almost like twice, that they're twice as likely to um, have a, 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 a negative outcome if their doctor is white, as opposed to their doctor being an African. So there's a lot of evidence that shows us that um, African people have to be about creating our own 
uh, healthcare programs. We have to be about creating um, our own independent capacity to meet the healthcare needs of our people because they're not being met under the current healthcare system, and they and they won't be met um, um, until you know fully until African people are in control of uh, our own uh, you know uh, capacity to meet the needs of our people, healthcare and otherwise. That's absolutely correct. And let me just kind of piggyback off that question, although I do not have the specific study, but as a person who's been in the medical field for 30 plus years, a prime example of what I want to share, um, I once worked in the ER. And when we have sickle cellers come in, or patients with sickle cell who are predominantly African-American, and they're in a crisis, and uh, predominantly white medical staff around, the first thing with a lot of them would say, not all, but quite a few, that they were drug seeking, not realizing what this person is actually going through during this crisis. But that was the number one thing. They were seeking drugs. So they would give them the very minimum to um, get them through the crisis and to move them forward to get better. So it is, I mean, there is a difference. There's a big difference when it comes to health care for black and brown people opposed to other populations. So it has been well documented as well. But like I said, I don't have the exact data here with me, but that's from my own personal experience. Uhuru, thank you for that, Dr. King. Because we also know that across the United States, we're seeing a jumbled approach to the reopening of schools. Some are fully open and some are offering options to parents. Many African parents are in no position to keep their children at home because they have to work and can't afford childcare. What should parents look for at their children's school to indicate that the schools have taken the best possible measures to ensure the safety of the children, as well as the teachers, bus drivers, and other workers at the school? Are there any special precautions families should take at home if they have children in school? Yes, I I do agree. I think that as a parent, you want to make sure that that particular facility, whether it's bus drivers, people in the school, the lunch purse, the lunch line people, they're all taking precautions as far as wearing their masks. They have um, hand sanitizers that are available for all. And, you know, they allow for hand washing. Those classrooms are those desks are distant so that they can social distance in in the classroom. And as far as play, I mean, they they may want to just kind of hold back on that until we get this COVID-19 under wrap. You know, so just not as much socializing is what they need to do. And then most definitely check for temps if that child comes in with any cold-like symptoms. They need to know how to jump on that and not and know how to intervene. And they need to also teach the parents, even if they already know, just to continue to just voice the same thing over and over till we just do this automatically. You know, the distancing, the hand washing, the, the wearing of the mask. And everybody needs to be taught that. And I think this thing is going to go on longer than we expect. So, I mean, that's just an important part of everyday living now. We're seeing a lot of controversy in the news lately about the development of a vaccine for the coronavirus. U.S. President Donald Trump has promised that a vaccine will be ready for delivery to the states by November 1st. 
Polls are showing that most people in America say they won't get the vaccine when it comes out because they don't trust the rushed approach. The National Medical Association, a group of Black doctors that work to safeguard against unscientific guidance from the Centers of Disease Control and the Food and Drug Administration, has just formed their own task force to vet regulators' decisions about COVID-19 drugs and vaccines, as well as the government recommendations for curbing the pandemic. Dr. Fields and Dr. King, your organization, Project Black Onc, has created and distributed health and safety information throughout Black communities across the U.S. on the COVID-19 pandemic. What do you make of the race for a vaccine? And what are your recommendations? Are there risks to such a vaccine that people should consider? How will we know if it's safe? Well, to answer that from a medical perspective, anything that's rushed and you don't you know, create the entire process for putting that out and the efficacy of that vaccine uh, still is very puzzling to myself. Most definitely, I believe in listening to what the scientists and the medical professionals are saying, opposed to others being so rushed. Normally, under normal circumstances, a vaccine can take anywhere up to two years to actually be ready to disperse upon the uh, community. So I'm still a little puzzled, but I do kind of follow where it's going. If um, they were to ask me today, is that something that I probably would get on November 1st? And my answer probably would be no. I'll continue to take all the necessary precautions that um, it's needed uh, if I'm out in the community. But something so rushed and it could be more of a political thing than actually the safety of uh, our people. I think it still needs a lot of thought and and, uh, we just need to follow the process at this point. Yeah, I want to really agree with what Dr. King just uh, said about the vaccine. Um, You know, there are there's a rush, you know, everywhere around the world to, you know, to develop a vaccine that could be effective against COVID-19 and not only in this country, but, you know, um, Cuba, Russia, you know, there are, you know, other vaccines that are being worked on from various countries in Asia and Europe. Um, but the general, like Dr. King was saying, the general um, uh, understanding is that a vaccine, you know, to really be not only uh, safe, but effective would, you know, would really take time um, to develop. And I think that our people especially should be very cautious uh, when um, making a decision as to whether or not, you know, they would take a vaccine once it's developed. Uh, I think that African people have a lot of reason to, you know, be concerned about uh, being first in line or, uh, you know, even being involved in some of the studies. I think there that we should be really, you know, concerned about the implications for, um, you know, for what that could mean. And I, and I think part of the reason why, you know, this rush um, in, in part is, I think, because of the really poor way in which this virus has been managed in the United States and in other places. I mean, there are some places uh, around the world that have managed uh, have managed this much better. You know, places like Cuba, for example, and 
even, you know, South Korea and Vietnam and there, you know, there are lots of countries that have not that they've totally been able to eliminate COVID, but the, the, you know, the numbers of infections are very low. The number of deaths are very low, but it seems like uh, the, the magic bullet that's being sold to, especially people in this country, the United States, is that it's the vaccine or, you know, or nothing in, in many ways. Uh, that the vaccine is what we have to wait on when there are really uh, important and, um, you know, public health measures that really need to be embraced here that could really minimize, you know, people's risk to getting COVID that really need to be, um, that really need to be, you know, dealt with. And so I think uh, we really should be encouraging our people to, uh, to do what we can as a community to uh, minimize the risks uh, to ourselves and to our family uh, and to our community at large. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today are Dr. Aisha Fields and Dr. Loretta King. Dr. Aisha, you traveled to Sierra Leone in 2013 to lead the All African People Development and Empowerment Project's work to build maternity centers and community farms in a country where the infant mortality rate is amongst the worst in the world and undernourishment is widespread. When the Ebola epidemic hit in 2014, your project Black Onk went to work training community health workers in the prevention, identification, and treatment of waterborne diseases and on the prevention of the Ebola virus disease. What, if any, similarities do you see in the condition of life for the people of West Africa and those of us in the Black community here in the U.S., including challenges in health and health care, and how can they be overcome? Yeah, so I just want to appreciate um, that question and just say that not only in Sierra Leone, but in all of the African communities that I've had the opportunity to visit on the continent of Africa and the Caribbean and Europe and in this country, um, just my experience is that our conditions um, are the same as African people and they vary only to degree, you know, but that the overall condition is the same. And when we look at, I mean, we can look at the fact that in the United States, uh, you know, African people have very little, uh, you know, in terms of uh, resources that, uh, you, know, you know, the masses of African people in this country experience uh, high levels of joblessness, um, you know, high, high levels of um, homelessness, uh, you know, uh, lack of access to, you know, to the things that we would need to have uh, the quality of life that one would expect in the country that has the, you know, one of the highest, you know, standards of living in the world. But what we experience uh, as African people, generally speaking, in this country is a, a, the other side of America, the other America, you know, um, that that, you know, that is very similar to the conditions that African, you know, experience in Sierra Leone, where, um, you know, where there is very little in terms of a, any kind of healthcare infrastructure, um, you know, uh, very little in terms of you know, our people having access to, uh, you know, quality, you know, education, uh, very little access to, uh, you know, the basics 
of, you know, clean water and good food. And again, you could compare that to, you know, um, again, to the fact that many African people um, in this country live in what are called, you know, food deserts where we don't have access to good quality food. And so, you know, so again, like the experiences that um, that we have as African people are very similar. And again, typically only vary to the degree. And I think that what um, I think is so important is, you know, when we take a look at our condition as African people is to know that, um, you know, that our condition is the same because the cause, the root cause of the problem is the same. And that is that the resources of Africa have been robbed from us as a people and that our resources that should be used to create the hospitals, that should be used to create the clean water systems, that should be used to create the schools, that should be used to create the the, the jobs and the roads and the homes um, are not in the hands of the masses of African people to create. And in fact, those resources are being used to create all of those things for other people at our expense. So, yeah. And, and again, that's ev- that's everywhere I've been, you know, everywhere I've had the opportunity to to travel, the African people are experiencing the same thing. Even if there's wealth, uh, generally speaking, in in a place, African people are not enjoying that wealth or not experiencing that wealth, but are experiencing the poverty, you know, um, uh, that that we experience everywhere. Uh, thanks for that, because Dr. King lives in St. Louis. And I just saw a statistic recently that said that the average African family in North St. Louis lives off of $5 per day per person. The median wealth for Africans in St. Louis is about $3,000. And the median wealth for whites is about $144,000. So, Dr. King, you've already had a long career in healthcare in various settings mm-hmm. and continue to work for a clinic in St. Louis as a primary care nurse practitioner, which is akin to a doctor of medicine. What drove you to join Project Black Ankh? Well, um, I was actually invited to do one of the series that they do as the doctor, and I did it on COVID-19. And it was uh, such a humbling experience to do that with this group. And I was talking to Dr. Fields, and uh, she was telling me about a project that they were wanting to get started and it had to do with uh, telehealth. And currently I do work as a provider with the telehealth program here in St. Louis. So I said, oh, well, that would be interesting and um, probably a humbling experience as well to help them get that started. So, and which I did, uh, I volunteered to help with it and it has just been an amazing journey because not only for what we're doing, but for the people we're helping, African people together. And um, so we've developed this telehealth program. It's an international program. And right now we're focused on COVID-19. So they get to call. um, We have it set up with Zoom calls and they get to call. They're having symptoms related to COVID or have had COVID in the past. And what we're doing is trying to provide resources and guidelines that the um, CDC and the World Health Organization are using uh, to talk about preventive measures or if you have it, when to seek medical care. So we do give out a lot of information. So 
And I think this is just a great start uh, in using our resource to help the African people, our people. So it's been a nice long journey and I've enjoyed it all the way. So, and it's more to come. Thanks for that, Dr. King, because you're a, a nurse practitioner and we know that African women, Black women are overrepresented in the field of nursing, but are underrepresented in uh, the actual position of medical doctors, physicians. Can you share any examples of cases where you saw patients either receiving poor care or perhaps not achieving the results they needed because of distrust and a bad relationship with the white-dominated medical system? Also, can you speak to that absence of African women in doctor roles and how it impacts the quality of health care provided to African people? Well, yeah, I've, like I've been in this, this area for many years, so I've seen the examples of patients not being treated as for uh, regarding health care as equally if, as if I think they should. And one of the biggest places um, or areas I worked in was in Houston, and it was actually with the homeless population and uh, just the lack of health care there. You know, homeless, you have a certain stigma um, associated um, with being homeless. And not only for homeless men, but the impact was really, really hard and rough for homeless women. Uh, so the organization that I work with, we reached out and we did have a um, freestanding clinic where we did offer health care at no charge. And um, and it was it is a large African-American population of homeless in Houston. So the organization that I work with had a, a variety of health care providers to treat them and also provide them medication. So I think this went over well there. But there are so many states where, you know, you have a large homeless population and there's just such a lack of health care for them. The other um, question or answer to the question as far as being a black provider, I had the opportunity to work in a women's facility and it was a large um, a group of African-American women as well. So they would always try to gear the, to get onto my panel uh, so they could be seen because I was the only black provider in that particular uh, facility. And um, I, and we just kind of build trusting relationships um, there because of, you know, who I am. And they a lot of them felt that I was a little more relatable to them uh, because most definitely there are a lot of not only black doctors, black uh, nurse practitioners, PAs, just a lot of a lack of. African-American or African providers in in the medical uh, yeah, medical arena. So that's something that I think will hopefully change. And uh, as more African people seek medical positions to help our medical people, because that's going to be the only way we move forward and, and the only way we're going to be able to care adequately for our people, because it's, it's most definitely a difference. A lot, of, I think, has to do with the lack of trust and um, like building relationships 
and uh, it's easy. I mean, it, it can be done. And not only that, one other statement I have, it's even in the hiring process for medical providers. I usually sit on the hiring committee for providers, and I never forget this one provider was being interviewed. And she told me, she said, I felt so relieved and so relaxed coming into that interview, seeing a person that looked like me sitting on the other side of that table. And that's that's always stuck in my mind. It just continues to resonate with me how empowering that can be for people moving to the next level. So we have to just share that among each other to move forward and move ahead. With the onset of the pandemic, healthcare institutions have moved many types of patient visits online. And I understand that Project Black Onc has launched a free telehealth program. Who is eligible for this and how does it work? Um, who would like to address that question? I can address that. You got it. Okay. Yeah, I can address it. So our telehealth program, it's an international telehealth program that is uh, staffed by um, licensed medical professionals. Uh, right now, the uh, they're all uh, phenomenal uh, nurse practitioners that um, are staffing our um, appointments. And so people can use uh, the system anywhere uh, in the world. People can access it if they have the ability to, uh, to make a Zoom call. We have a, uh, a system um, uh, software that allows us to uh, people to make an appointment. They can go to our website, which is uh, developmentforafrica.org slash telehealth and um, choose an available appointment day and time. And then the appointment is uh, carried out with one of our providers through Zoom and a Zoom video appointment. All the appointments are, you know, 30 minutes or less in duration. So people really have a good opportunity to have good discussion um, and get lots of, you know, questions answered by our providers. Um, the service is absolutely free um, and people can um, use it. We, we've made this like an absolutely free resource recognizing that uh, many of our people, you know, don't have primary care providers. And even though we don't offer, um, uh, you know, we're not, uh, you know, there to replace a primary care physician and we're not offering treatment, we're offering information, education and, um, you know, medical support with identifying testing sites and that kind of thing. It's really, I think, a great resource for anybody, as Dr. King, I think, said earlier, for anybody who's tested positive for COVID and they're looking to make sure that they're doing all the things that they can um, to care for themselves, if they're caring for themselves at home or if they're caring for a loved one, um, or if they want to talk through a plan to minimize uh, their risk of uh, getting COVID or, you know, many people are working, um, you know, jobs that put them, uh, you know, in the middle of the, you know, uh, of the, of the community and having to, you know, interact with people, lots of people throughout the day, especially many African people, you know, working service jobs and other kind of frontline jobs that, you know, put us in the in the um, in the midst of lots of people. And maybe people want to talk through a plan to, you know, to minimize the risk of catching COVID or, you know, um, or maybe somebody who might even have already, uh, you know, technically recovered, but that are experiencing certain kinds of um, you know, symptoms or have questions and want to see if, you know, 
if there's, you know, some information that could be helpful. So there are lots of reasons why people could, um, you know, want to take advantage of, of our telehealth system. And the number one thing that we want people to really know is that this is something that's been put in place to meet the needs of our people. And then we have providers who really care, like Dr. King, who really care about the health and well-being of African people and that have made themselves available to help get our people through this, you know, through this period and to get um, to the other side post-COVID. And hopefully once we um, have kind of moved beyond the, the COVID pandemic, that we'll have the capacity to deal with other kinds of issues uh, that African people are experiencing in terms of our health. And this could be a program that can serve even beyond what will be needed right now during the COVID pandemic. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show. Produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today are Drs. Aisha Field and Loretta King. Dr. Fields and Dr. King, you've made brief mention to this before, but in addition to Project Black Onk's telehealth program, you have also been broadcasting a bi-weekly Ask the Doctor series online. What kind of advice have you been able to offer your viewers or patients about building our immune systems to be better able to ward off the coronavirus? Okay, so uh, thank you for that question. And like I said uh, earlier, I had the opportunity to do a segment of Ask the Doctors, and I did it on COVID-19. And one of the um, areas I did touch on what's boosting the immune system. So, you know, it shared some more common um, things that we do to boost the immune system, such as, you know, get adequate amount of sleep, as well as good nutrition. Also discuss some of the, you know, supplements that we have over the counter that we can take to help boost the immune system, such as vitamin D, uh, zinc, the use of uh, vitamin C at this time. So things like that, and and most importantly as well, exercise. That was a very important part of the um, things we talked about to boost the immune system. So, uh, yes, if we can implement those things into our daily activities and, you know, something that we do daily as far as with the supplements and things like that, that's just a good start for um, helping our immune system out and just kind of boosting it so that we can fight off the COVID um, virus, and you know, if we get it. So um, we discussed that uh, pretty much in detail during that segment. I want to appreciate what Dr. King said, because much of what is talked about is, is about, you know, hand washing and mask wearing, which is really, really important. But the question of immune boosting is something that we really need to make sure our community is is hearing, you know, that there are other things that we need to be doing and all the recommendations that Dr. King just made, I think are so, so, so important. And um, I think there there's so many um, ways in which African people um, are being impacted, uh, you know, by uh, COVID um, and that some of the reasons why we are at even such a higher risk of having, um, you know, serious complications from COVID are some of the healthcare issues that, you know, that we've grappled with as a community for, you know, for a long time. And so like now is the time to 
to deal with, you know, and really do the best we can to improve our eating habits and to, you know, and to take the other, you know, um, basic and simple, but so helpful recommendations that Dr. King laid out. So I really want to just urge, you know, all of us to do what we can um, to, you know, to improve our overall health, which will improve our immune system and give us, you know, put us in a better position to, you know, to fight COVID-19 should we, uh, should we contract it. What are the common symptoms that people should look for? When should somebody get tested? What are some home remedies for mild symptoms? And also, what point should somebody go to the emergency room? Okay, so that's one of the things I've also discussed uh, during the doctor series. But we want to get people uh, to make them aware of some of the most common symptoms. And that would most definitely be a fever. Usually cough and chest congestion can be one. Loss of smell or taste is a big one. That's that's just one of probably one of the biggest ones with the fever that a person can uh, be aware of and know that they either need to seek medical advice or, um, you know, call their primary care provider uh, if they have one. The other things that uh, we talk about as far as the urgent need or immediate need to seek medical care if they're experiencing any chest pain or shortness of breath, that's something that... Um, kind of trumps everything. They need to be seen immediately with that. And one of the other things that uh, I try to impress upon uh, people when sharing this information is that where we're at right now, if you do have any of those symptoms, just be prepared when you do go to the hospital. And if you are admitted, you will be alone, you know, because not, not allowing others to, you know, go up and, you know, as you transition up to your room, they're not letting others go uh, go with you. And the importance of taking either a cell phone or iPad or a computer. But what some of the hospitals are trying to do now is make sure that uh, patients, if they are admitted, will have access to these things so that they can call on their family or their loved ones and they don't feel alone because most of the times they're, they are admitted alone. And that's another big thing. They are dying alone. So, you know, you just want to kind of get that information out there so they're well prepared if they have to be hospitalized. Thanks for that. Thanks for that, uh, Dr. King, because it really does underscore the importance of community, uh, that community uh, that you all have been uh, forming as a part of Project Black Ankh and these other measures that you all are putting forward. So do you have openings for volunteers, whether trained medical practitioners or community organizers? What kind of help are you looking for? Thank you so much for that question. We absolutely um, are um, looking for and constantly making the call for people to to join us, to become volunteers with um, Project Black Onk and Certainly, we're, um, you know, we're always looking for people who are in the medical field to, you know, participate uh, in the program. Um, so that's, you know, f- you know, obviously one area where people can volunteer. But we're looking for people with various kinds of skills who can support the other areas uh, of work that are needed to um, be carried out in order to make the overall program successful. So, you know, um, Folks who have, you know, skills or who have interest in 
um, fundraising to help us, you know, raise funds for the program, which again is free um, to those who use it and our volunteers volunteer their time, but we have software and other, you know, materials that we need to have to make the, the, the program happen. So fundraising is a, another really important area. You know, people who have the ability to help us to, you know, to, to promote, you know, if there are folks who have skills in um, graphic design who can help us to create, you know, um, you know, uh, promotional materials, or if there are people who um, have, you know, experience um, or who, you know, who uh, could be helpful in helping us to, uh, you know, to carry out our promotional strategy to get the word out to African people around the world that this program exists and that they can use it and that it's there for, you know, for uh, for us to be able to get, you know, get through this pandemic as a people. You know, we, we definitely encourage, you know, people with th- those kind of skills or interests to volunteer. Honestly, um, anybody who really could see themselves investing whatever their skills are or their resources or, or time into um, making this program successful, I'm confident that there's a way that we could use your, you know, your skills and that you could become a part of this. So we absolutely are always looking for volunteers. We have a uh, volunteer orientations that we do depending on your skill, you know, we could, and you know, where you fit in, what kind of orientation and uh, you would, you know, you would be involved in to, to assess your skills and get you plugged in. So definitely would, would uh, want people to reach out to us. Um, you know, if there's an interest in volunteering with us and you can do that by sending us an email at info at developmentforafrica.org. Um, that's info at developmentforafrica.org. Or um, we have actually a volunteer application that's on our website. So you could go to developmentforafrica.org slash volunteer to complete that volunteer application. Or you could give us a call at 256-281-1344. Um, and then we can get you plugged in. Uhuru, um, do you have any last words for our listeners? Yes, I do. Um if nothing else, is to take this COVID-19 thing serious. I know there's some people who, you know, feel as a hoax or don't want to wear the mask, things like that. But this is for real. And safety is number one. Social distance, good hand washing, wear your face mask, and let's let's protect our community. Yeah, I want to echo uh, Dr. King and just say that I'm so excited and honored to be a part of an organization and a movement that has um, made it our mission to um, to build the programs and the institutions that we need for African people to become, you know, self-reliant, self-determining people. And that this uh, Project Black on Telehealth program that's been uh, built by the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project is your program. This is your this is this is your program. These are your doctors. This is this is uh, the African communities, uh, the beginning of us having our own independent capacity to meet the healthcare needs of our people. And I really want to encourage uh, encourage you to take advantage of this uh, program. I want to uh, also encourage those of you who uh, want to play some role to um, you know to reach out to us. And I just really appreciate having the opportunity to participate in this show and um, for us to have an opportunity to share uh, our program with your listeners. Just one last time. Um, if you could tell us where people can go to learn about 
Project Black Onk, the telehealth program, and the Ask, Ask the Doctor broadcast, Dr. Field? Yes, you can go to our website, which is developmentforafrica.org. And uh, that will give you the general information about uh, APDEP and our programs. And if you go to developmentforafrica.org slash telehealth, uh, you can get, um, you know, you can make an appointment for our telehealth program. You can get more information about the telehealth program um, by going to that, uh, that page, developmentforafrica.org slash telehealth. You can also, you know, send us an email directly at info at developmentforafrica.org. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today were Drs. Aisha Fields and Loretta King. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, healthcare, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit APEDF.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast on wubp.podbean.com. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onk, visit developmentforafrica.org. We'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Aisha Fields and Dr. Loretta King, for joining us today. We'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Y'all can talk about all these viruses, and that's good, but you can't forget the main one. It's plaguing us, bro. Down with the colonial virus. 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 Is why I can't live. Colonial virus is why I can't breathe. Colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go. We don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more. Down with the colonial virus. Down with the colonial virus. HIV, that's colonial virus. 
Juvenal Moyes. That's colonial virus. Domestic violence. That's colonial virus. Sexual violence. That's colonial virus. Horizontal violence. That's colonial virus. State violence. That's colonial virus. Gentrification, that's colonial virus. Mass incarceration, that's colonial virus. Deportation, that's colonial virus. The need for constant inebriation, y'all, that's colonial virus. Attacks on black women, that's colonial virus. Attacks on black men, that's colonial virus. Attacks on black children, that's colonial virus. We can't take no more of this colonial virus. We say down with the colonial virus. 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 Hello.